Okay. Okay. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure you found out a lot about each other in that question. If I had a billion dollars, I don't, I don't even know what I would do. I would. A billion dollars, a billion dollars. I, I would go, I would go buy a jet and then I would just fly in circles. I don't know. I don't know what I'd do. Okay, guys. Um, so my name is Alex Sheets, and I am so glad to be with you tonight. Um, I would love to meet you if I haven't got the chance to meet you. Um, I love my job. I love getting to hang out with you guys. Um, it is one of the coolest jobs in the world is to be a minister and to spend this time with you. Um, tonight, I don't know what this experience has been for you as we've been walking through Ecclesiastes. Um, Ecclesiastes is an interesting book, if we can just be honest. Um, it's full of realism. You know, like it's full of things that come across as uh, depressing. I remember the, the first time uh, I stood up here and talked about Hevel and um, reaching out and grabbing things that are, are, are smoke um, and then ending, um, we, we, we take a break in, in the half, uh, someone came up to me and was like, dude, like, that was really depressing. <laughs> like, like, come on, give us something more. And I'm like, okay, just wait. Okay, we'll get there. But uh, Ecclesiastes is like that. Um, one of the beautiful things of Ecclesiastes is it's just honest. Um, it talks about things in life that uh, some we don't really hear a lot. Um, you've heard about the futility, the vanity, the meaninglessness of uh, wisdom in itself. You've, talked, you've heard about the, uh, the meaninglessness of pleasure in itself. You've heard about the meaninglessness of work in itself. And now we get to talk about wealth. And I am very excited to talk about this tonight. I'm very passionate. Um, very passionate. My story has a little bit to do with this. But I want to I start with this. Um, have you guys... You, you guys you guys have played the game, the board game Life, right? You grew up playing the board game Life. That's an interesting game. If we just want to sit and think about it for a second, okay? Like, you start off the board game, and you, you get to choose the career path, and you get to choose college. And if you, get, if you choose college, you get $1,000 in debt, okay? So we're like, it's, it's accurate there, okay? You go around... The, the board a little bit, and then all of a sudden you hit, you hit stop, and you're forced to get married against your will. <laughs> a little bit interesting there. Another, another interesting thing that I was just, just thinking about, I've been thinking about life, guys. I've just been thinking about life. Um, you, get, uh, you get children in this game. Um, you just land on tile, and then boom, you get, you get children. Um, but if you get too many children, you know, like you, they, you, you fit them in, in the van, and then all of a sudden... Like, you don't have a room in the van anymore. Like, like where, do, where do they go? <laughs> like, I guess, I, guess they just, I guess they just go to the bank. I don't know. Like, it's one, it's one, of, the, one of the mysteries, one of the mysteries of life. Um, the game of life is, is, is interesting. Um, one of the most interesting parts of the game of life comes at the end of the game. Okay? So you make it all the way around the board. And then once you get to the end, you, you've bought a house, you, you get all these experiences, you get a wife or a husband and, and kids. And at the end of the game, 
How you win the game of life is you take all of everything and then you tally it up by how much it costs, how much money you made, and that is how you win the game of life. You win, whoever has the most money in the end wins the game of life. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting because I believe that you and I believe that. I, I think we are in a culture that fundamentally, I don't know if we'd come out right and say that, like he who has the most money wins, but like, like uh, we, we're in a culture that's just money saturated. Everything about us is money centric. It, it's in our language. Um, time is money. Don't waste my time. If something's funny, it, it, that's, that's rich. Uh, in basketball, we don't, we don't just make buckets, we make it rain, we make it rain. Everything is money-centric. Our TV shows are about money. Uh, Moneyball, Shark Tank, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, Jeopardy, all about money. The rap industry alone is centered on the idea of getting as much money as you can, all, so that we can be healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's all about money. It's all in our culture. And before we go any further, we're talking about the, the, the futility of wealth, the meaninglessness of wealth. And, and I just, there's one point that, that you and I need to be on the same page um, before we step down this, this, this sermon a bit. Um, you and I are very, very wealthy. We're very wealthy in comparison to everyone else in the world. I don't know what you think of when you think of rich. I don't know what you think of when you think of that is what it means to have made it. But um, I was looking up some statistics, um, and it, it was interesting to me that in the world, to be in the top 10% of the income, okay, just, just income, we're, we're talking about this, you have made the top 10%, you have to make 19000 a year. It's interesting to me. That's somewhere around minimum wage. I can't remember the minimum wage, but that's near that. That's, that's a very low-paying job here. If you make 55000 a year, comfortable lower middle class, you are among the top 1% of the world. Of the world. The Federal Reserve looks at the American household and tallies up the, the net income of everything. And net income is, is what they have minus their, their, their expenses, their, their debts. And the net worth of the average American household is about $7,500,000. Crazy. You and I. I know it seems like you're students right now and you have student debt, but you and I are very, very wealthy people. We have, we have a car. We have education. We have multiple Aspen runs a day, multiple Red Bulls. We eat out multiple times. We have closets stuffed full of shoes. We are very, very wealthy people. I think that we are the rich 
among the ultra-rich in America. And I think that we need to listen. We, more than anyone else, needs to listen to what God has to say about money. Because I believe that God has a lot to say when it comes to the futility of wealth. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes 5, starting in verse 10. We'll be in Ecclesiastes 5, and then we're going to jump to the New Testament back and forth because Jesus actually has a lot, a lot to say about money. But we're going to start in Ecclesiastes 5. I want to go over these briefly, and we'll circle back around to some of the main points as, as we go. But Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10 says this, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. If that's not an American verse, I don't know what is. If you love money, you never have enough. We're the rich among the ultra-rich. It's never enough. You're never satisfied. They're always wanting more. As goods increase, so do those consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners? except to feast their eyes upon them. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. It's an interesting thought that he says there. He says like the anxiety of riches keeps them up at night. The contrast, he says, this is laborers. While they don't have much, at the very least they have sleep. That's a pleasure in life. But the rich, they're consumed by, by the gains they have. They, they're consumed by protecting it, and, and they can't sleep. 13. He says, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. And when he says grievous evil, he's like, one, one of the worst of the worst. This is one of the worst things that could happen. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. This is one of our main points that we're going to come back to. Um, when we think of money, I think most of us have this idea that like, money is inherently positive, right? It's inherently positive. Get as much as you can of money. Or at the very least, it's inherently neutral, you know? Like, it's just it's a neutral thing. Could it be that wealth is dangerous? Wealth is harmful to the owner, in certain circumstances. Wealth is dangerous. Point number one. Fourteen. Another grievous evil. Or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil, so they can carry in their hands. Point number two, wealth is insecure. You can't keep it protected as much as you want. All the wealth that a person gained, he wasn't able to pass it on. It wasn't as stable a foundation as they thought. Wealth is insecure. Verse 16, this too is a grievous evil, one of the worst of the worst. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil all they work for is for the wind. All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. And I'm smiling because that's the, this is the verse I put on Drew's coffee mug so that he can drink from affliction and anger. Um, 
But the point number three, he says, this is a grievous evil. What do they gain? They're toiling for the wind. The idea is that wealth is temporary. That it is as brief as the wind. What was the net gain for a person who worked for everything in this life? Their net gain, ultimately, was the wind. It, it couldn't pass on. Wealth is temporary. That's some of the warnings that Ecclesiastes gives us, and they're pretty strong, and we're going to circle back around to them in a second. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's certain moments that he balances himself. It's not all depressing. It's not all realism, depending on, on what kind of pessimism you, scale you are on. Um, he, he goes upwards in, in certain moments, and here's one of those moments. And I just want to take some time and just sit in this. It's kind of a beautiful section. Verse 18, This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. This is their portion in life. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy with their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with the gladness of their heart. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful section of Scripture. It's like it's not all futility. Like there is meaning, there is meaning in the meaningless toil. Like there is there's happiness in it. There's contentment with our place in life. There's enjoyment in the wealth because it is a blessing from God. But the center of that section isn't the enjoyment of wealth. The center of that is not the, the finding peace in the mess. The center of that section is that it is a gift from God. Read verse 20 again. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God, God keeps them occupied with the gladness in their heart. God, not money, not anything else that we've been talking about through this series. God is the giver. And we center ourselves on Him. Wealth is a gift if used properly. But, as Ecclesiastes said, there are some strong warnings that have been said in this. And I just want to, I just want to spend some time talking about this. I want to spend some time talking about the futility, talking about the hevel. You, can, you can't reach out and graspness of, of wealth. And so the first one that we've already talked about is the insecurity of wealth. That wealth can be taken from you. You've seen this in history. Like there is job loss. There is credit fraud. There is a stock market crash. Ecclesiastes 5.14. This is a grievous evil. Wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Wealth lost. It's not secure. It can be taken. If you were to store up your treasure in a place that, that anyone could take it, okay? If you were just to, to leave your credit card out on a table that anyone could take it from you, and then someone comes and take it from you, no one would be mad at you, would be mad. They'd be like, you're, you're, you're dumb, right? Like you left it for anyone to take it. It's insecure and and you let yourself be taken advantage of. So the next logical step for us to say is, I'm going to take my money and I'm going to make it as secure as possible. I'm going to guard it so that, that no one can get to it, right? That's what we do. That's what we do. And that 
is what Jesus says Himself in Matthew 6. That is the argument that He makes. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on, on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He's like, here, it's so, it's so insecure. It's so untrustworthy. Don't even place it here. Don't, don't put your bets here. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where nothing can get to it, where nothing can corrode, where no one can touch it. Because verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wealth is insecure here. All through history, it's not a firm foundation. Second point, wealth is temporary. You, you've already heard this. It cannot take it with you in life. Ecclesiastes 5.15, um, everyone comes in naked. Everyone goes out naked with no net gain. They cannot take it with them, cannot take anything with them from their toil. You know, there, there's a group of people that believed they could take their wealth with them. I don't know if you know this, but uh, the, the pharaohs in Egypt, um, they amassed all their treasures in, in, in earth. They, they took it with them. They, they believed that it carried over to the next life. And so they thought it was the opposite. They thought wealth was eternal. And so they built some very beautiful tombs. Very beautiful tombs. They ended up doing nothing but being buried with them because wealth doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go on to the next life. Can I say this, guys? It seems like the way people live in America, we do the same thing. We are living as if money carries on. We are building up our, our houses. We're, we're making these jobs and these careers. We're trying to get it as successful as possible. All the money we can to, to, to get it to ourselves. We're building these very beautiful tombs as if it goes on to the next life. But we know, we know it doesn't because wealth is temporary. It does not go on to the next life. At the end of the game of life, it is packed up and moved on. You retire, game over. However much you make, it is temporary. Wealth is insecure. Wealth is temporary. It is hevel. You try to reach it, you can't grab it. But if you do, if you happen to be able to reach out and grab it, point number three, wealth is dangerous. Wealth is dangerous to the owner. Ecclesiastes 5.13 I saw this grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of the owner. Ecclesiastes 5.12 The rich are unable to sleep because of their anxieties of their wealth. Wealth hoarded. It's dangerous to yourself. You know, Jesus tells a, a parable of um, a young man that comes up to him and he, he has all kinds of money. He's called it the parable of the rich young ruler. Um, some of you guys know this story. Um, he's, a good, he's a good man. 
And this young man, he asks Jesus, he says, he says, Jesus, God, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says something interesting. He says he looks at him and he loves him and he says, you go sell all that you have, all the riches that you've accumulated and give it to the poor. And it says this young man went away sad because of all that he had. He couldn't do it. He asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The question, how can I get right with God? How can I go to the next step? And Jesus says, get rid of your money first, that idol of money. And he can't do it. He goes away and he doesn't get right with the Lord. It's interesting, and I have so many questions about this text. So many questions. Questions like, why does Jesus say this? Questions like, um, what does the nature of discipleship and the cost that God has for us on money? Questions like, what does Jesus want us to do with the poor? Like, the giving up wealth. Like, there, there's all these questions that I have circulating around this text. But you know what scares me, guys? I'm just going to be honest with you. I have been in many, many Bible studies with, with us. Many Bible studies. We've looked at this text. And the first thing out of our mouths, the first things without fail, is, but we can do it, right? Like, like we can have money. Like, we can have the riches and Christ, right? Like, Jesus isn't going to ask us to, like, like, get in our bank account, right? Like, that's the first thing out of our mouth. We just saw a guy give up eternal life because he couldn't sacrifice. His, his wealth kept him from God. And the first thing that we say is, but I can do it. You know, like, doesn't that, that, that scares me. I'm just being honest. It, it scares me. It scares me because I think it's a huge idol in our life. I think we can, guys. I, I'm not going to be honest. I don't think wealth is inherently evil, but the fact that we just jump there with no regard to any other question, I think we should just slow it down a bit. There's another parable that Jesus says, a parable of the sower. I'm going to skip it a bit. He, there's a man that goes and sows seed, and the seed is the Word of God, and, and the seed is being sown, and, and it, it, lands on, it lands on the road, and, and, and the road, the, the people that are the road, it doesn't get into their heart. It lands on um, the people that are the gravel, and it doesn't get down into them. It doesn't transform them from within. But it lands... The, the word, the people that are the thorns. You guys know the thorny soil? There's these people that are the thorny soil. And it says, the thorny soil, the word of God, lands in them. It grows up. But the love of money and the love of the pleasures of the world, they come and they choke out the life of the plant. They're Christian, but they, they, they never really produce anything. They never really do anything because, because they loved pleasure and they loved the money more than they wanted the kingdom of God. The good soil goes on to produce 30, 60, 100 times that which was sown. An incredible harvest. But not those that love the money. 
money is dangerous. It's dangerous. And I just think, I just want us to just sit with that. It's not this neutral thing. And maybe it's because we are not neutral towards it. I know, I know that there is a spectrum here. I know there's a spectrum here. You guys have heard of this thing called prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. The idea that, that money is, or material blessing is inherently good. And any, that God has come to give us spiritual blessings. Like the more blessed I am, the more material materials I have. Like the more money, the more spiritual blessings I have. But there's another end of this spectrum that is there too. It's called poverty gospel. And poverty gospel is the opposite. It says money is inherently evil. And the less you have, you get it out of your system, those are the truly righteous. That's called poverty gospel. And I know, ultimately, that both fail. Prosperity gospel, for those of you who hear prosperity gospel preachers, that, that God wants to come and just shower you with blessing upon blessing in the idea of money, they should sit with the idea of the cross and sacrifice. But poverty gospel, there, there are people in the scriptures that they're rich and they, they do good things. It's not as just simple as that. The reality is that neither are true. But I also want to say that it's not a true middle. It's not just avoid these two and, and land right in the middle. Because the riches are dangerous to us. It's not poverty gospel. It's not prosperity gospel. But it is stewardship. It is stewardship of what you have. Stewardship towards sacrifice. And the phrase that I've heard, and I think this is a good one, is, is be a pipeline. Be a pipeline with what you have. Do not be a bucket. Do not be a vault with what you have been given. Be someone that with the blessings that you have been received, with what God has generously given you, you take it and you are generous as well. The aim is that you would put your money where your mouth is. That you would put your money where your faith is. Because that is where your heart is. That's what Jesus says, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. That's some of the futility of wealth. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back in in about five minutes and, and wrap it up. Okay, so we're, we're, talking about, we're talking about wealth. We're talking about being, being wealthy and um, the, the aspect of like, it's not, it's not um, all bad. You can be, you can be spiritual and, and have it, but it is, it is dangerous. It is dangerous and we should know that. Uh, money, money is not evil. But the love of money is. Money is not evil, but if you hoard it to yourself, if you keep it to yourself, it will damage you and you will be judged. Money is not evil, but we are the richest people in the world and we want more. Money is not evil. But we are not 
rich in the eyes of God. And when God looks at us, when He looks and sees riches and not riches, He has He does not look and see anything about socioeconomic class. And I think that's amazing. Like you can have it all and have nothing in the eyes of God. He doesn't look and see and see wealth. Turn with me, if you wish, to 1 Timothy 6. It'll be on the screen. The idea of, of having wealth, of being truly rich in the eyes of the Lord. Paul is talking to Timothy, and he says this. And it's a long passage, and we're just going to take our time in it. Verse 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Kind of similar to Ecclesiastes right there. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that may, they may take hold of what truly is life. I love that. No matter where you are, like, like listen to his words. He says, command, command the rich to be rich, because they're not rich in the eyes of God. Command them to be rich in deeds. If you want to be rich in what truly counts, then be rich in generosity to do good that we will actually care for the poor. I mean, Christians, you, you know that this is what the world looks at and they say, they say this is what Christians are expected to do. That we care for the poor, that we take care of those that are in need. That we take what is ours and we go outward with it that we take care of the lowly, be rich in generosity. The idea, I know some, of, some people say that, that, that we tithe and that's enough. That we tithe and, and that's my generosity for the week. And I, and I just want to say, guys, like, like tithing, if, if, if tithing doesn't lead to generosity in all areas, then we got we to do some work inside. If like 10% of our income is like where we cut the line, then we need to rethink some things about what it is about money in general because it's not 10% of our income that God has. It's 100% of our income that God has so richly given us. God has converted us, has transformed us from the inside, and then He has called us to move ours. Like we, we are transformed people. And I pray that it shows in everything, it shows in our actions, in our words, and in our wallets. This is a quote from Martin Luther. 
He says, there must not only be a conversion of the heart and mind, but also a conversion of the purse and the wallet. The money counts. We got to be generous with it. To be rich in good deeds, and that is what is rich in the eyes of God. But do you want to know why it is? We've been talking about the futility of wealth and why, why wealth ultimately doesn't matter in life. Like, why, why wealth? It's temporary. It it's, uh, doesn't give you meaning. It, it, it's, uh, you, it's dangerous. Like, like you want to know why wealth is truly meaningless when it comes down to it? It is because God has given you so much. You and I are so rich in Jesus Christ already. Just think about it with me, guys. Like, like the idea that we have been given life. The idea that we have been given breath. The idea that we have been given a church that at any point in time in Poland, in Japan, that, that I can go across the world and not even speak the same language as them. And I can worship God and I can be a family with them at any point in time. I can get on a plane and have the family of God immediately. That I have the Spirit of God dwelling in my bones. What does that even mean? That I have the love of the Father every single morning. And it does not matter how we, if I've messed up, He's not going to take it away for, from me because Jesus died that I could be right with Him. That God loves me and He loves me every single day. How rich am I? Like what could you give me that I don't already have? What could I give you that you don't already have? Is it, is it money? Is it dollars? Like we have life and we have life eternal. We have God's presence with us. We have Jesus Christ, His only Son. Like money. We're already rich people. But we're rich in the Lord Jesus because God, in the words of Ephesians 1.3, He says, God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Everything in the heavens has been poured out to us in Christ. That God did not keep anything from you. God said, it's all yours and it's yours in Jesus. Know how rich you are. How generous God has been for you. And the money, the money does not matter. The streets of heaven, as the saying goes, is lined with gold. Like what? It doesn't go with you. And if it did, who cares? We are so stinking rich in Christ. And I pray, I pray as we go from here, that you would be smart with your money that you would be good stewards of the gift that God has given you so that you could be stupidly generous with it. That you could be smart and you're not wasting it on frivolity and, and, and dumb things, 
But when the time comes, and I pray that the time comes often, you give, and you give big. Because God has given us everything. You and I, we are so rich in Jesus. We're going to do something different today. Um, something that we don't always do here at the table. Um, I'm going to ask that the servers come forward. Um, but if you notice that what they have, go ahead and come forward, guys. Um, there's something a little bit different with this. Um, there's already money that's in the plate. And so as the, the plates are being passed, I'm just going to ask that every one of you, that you take something from it. And then we're going to take it and hold it in your hands. And then we're going to do one thing before we leave. So go ahead and start passing, guys. This is something that was done for me at, uh, at the college that I went to. And now I want to pass this on. You've heard a, uh, a sermon on the futility of wealth and the idea that um, we're called to be generous because we are already incredibly rich in Jesus Christ. Um, this is a gift, and it's a gift from me to you. And you can do with it whatever you like. I mean, I, there's no one going to be watching you. There's no one going to be following up with you. But there's two things that I'm going to ask with this. The first thing that I'm going to ask is that you take this, this gift and the idea of generosity. Some of this, it's small. We're not but that you go and you be a blessing to someone. You go and you add something to it. And you remember what God has done. You take it and you, you, you be generous because you remember how God has, given, has been generous to you. I'm going to ask that you do the same. That's the first thing. Call it an investment. The second thing that I'm going to ask, um, people spend their entire life chasing this. People spend their entire careers, they, they give up on their family, anything to get the money. I'm going to ask that anytime you look at this, whether it's this bill in your hand or whatever bill you have in the future, that you remember that it's temporary, that it is not, will not give you meaning, it will not fill you. This is not your God. But as the phrase goes, may it truly be in God we trust. I pray that we're a people that can show that by our lives and by our generosity. And I pray that every time you look at a dollar bill, that you remember that too.
we are so filthy rich in Jesus. I pray that that makes us so stinking generous. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time, and I thank you for these students. I thank you for their lives, and and wherever they are um, coming in, God, I just ask that your spirit would be with them. I pray that they could know your presence. I pray that you could let them know how much you love them, how deeply you are willing to transform their lives. God, I pray that you would transform all of our lives, that it's not just our minds and our hearts, it's everything. There's nothing closed off to you in our houses, Lord. God, I just pray that we can experience the generosity that you have given us, Jesus. That we can reflect upon your sacrifice, we can reflect upon the mercies that you've given us, God. We can reflect upon every little blade of grass that you've placed for our enjoyment, Lord. I pray that we can see how generous you have been towards us and that moves us outwards in love and generosity towards others. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.